Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Many parents, uh, we had concerns that it took so long. Tonight, a B.C. pandemic first. A school in Surrey is ordered closed following an outbreak of COVID-19. Plus... She came to school every day, despite her fears. A teacher from that Surrey school now in hospital with COVID, fighting for her life. And... The only way we can help one another is to protect one another. Customers voice off about Costco's stricter COVID safety measures. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. For the first time since the pandemic began, a BC school has been closed due to an outbreak of COVID-19. Cambridge Elementary in Surrey has been ordered shut down for the next two weeks after seven cases of uh, COVID have been identified. Well, now, as Grace Key reports, hundreds of staff and students at the school have been ordered into self-isolation. Cambridge Elementary in Surrey has been advised to shut down for two weeks because of a COVID-19 outbreak. Its 850 students and staff must now self-isolate after seven people tested positive. Some parents took to social media to do their own contact tracing. And it was a way to let other families know in the event that they already have a risk at their home or an underlying condition. I think parents were just so uncomfortable with how long it's been taking that we just sort of started doing a grassroots communication. A letter was sent out on November 8th of a possible exposure. The next day, a music class was identified as the source. Students could go to school, but had to look out for symptoms. Six days later, parents were told the school was shutting down. We were stressed. We were definitely fearful. And we, and I know of, of a few parents that kept their kids home last week. It's no wonder Cambridge parents are stressed. They've gotten at least five separate letters of possible exposures at the school, the earliest on October 13th, and another, a class how to self-isolate, and the most recent, November 5th. There's got to be a look at how we're doing these cohort models. Like, for one teacher to have K through grade four, and in our school, that's probably three to 400 children through her classroom on a daily basis. How was she ever protected? When you have the fifth, fifth exposure, um, as parents, we want the school closed. We want you know it to be cleaned. We want more uh, protocols to be put in place because obviously whatever was put in place isn't working for our school. Anyone attending Cambridge between November 2nd and 13 must self-isolate for 14 days from the last date on site. Fraser Health is also recommending mass testing for all students and staff. Cambridge is set to reopen on the 30th. Grace Key, Global News. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, we're now hearing from the superintendent of the Surrey School mm -hmm. District. The advice for these 850 people, as Grace just told us, is not just to self-isolate, but also to get tested. 
Yes, that's a lot of testing. Again, that's a very large school in terms of the school population, but it is Surrey. It is the fastest growing municipality in BC. And it's also where most of the COVID cases are located. In fact, in October, more almost 2,300 COVID cases were in Surrey. The next highest was a little more than 600 in Vancouver. So Surrey, very much the epicenter of our pandemic right now. So we put the question to Jordan Tinney, the superintendent of Surrey uh, School District, whether that means uh, Surrey schools are not particularly safe. And he turns it around the other way and says, it is safe. There have been a number of exposures, but Cambridge stands alone as the first outbreak. I think the schools are safe. I think when you look at 160, over 160 notices of exposure in the district and until Cambridge, three classes sent to isolation. So, you know, there's lots of exposures. We're seeing very little transmission, but of course, Cambridge is a different beast. And so I'm really happy that it's been treated differently. I talked to Education Minister Rob Fleming on the phone today. He says they're going to be watching the numbers on a daily basis very closely, particularly in Surrey, not ruling out taking further action in that one school district that uh, is facing far more COVID-19 cases right now than anywhere else. Keith. And the outbreak and subsequent closure of Surrey's Cambridge Elementary is devastating for several reasons, not the least of which is that a popular teacher has been hospitalized with the disease. As Sarah McDonald reports, the school community is rallying around Darlene Lucnorno and her family. I'm at home staying safe and you're at home staying safe. This was Darlene Lorenko back in April in one of countless virtual messages and lessons for her music students at Cambridge Elementary School. Fast forward to today, and the beloved teacher has been in intensive care for nearly a week in the fight of her life against COVID-19. One of the test positive cases emerging from an outbreak at the school. Her husband's also testing positive and unable to work. I know that she's receiving oxygen and the the danger was that she was needing more and more and more. As a community, we're coming together and we're trying to help her out. But, you know, we just feel feel like the system failed her. Which is why parents, colleagues, students and so many others whose lives Lorenko has touched are now driving a fundraising effort for her and her family, who are no stranger to adversity or any longtime Global News viewer. One of her twin girls passed away from a battle with leukemia. The family, even throughout their struggle with their daughter and her health crisis, they were always involved in fundraising and advocating for other families and other children. Lorenko's daughter, Lindsay, died in 2013 at just 18 years old. But throughout her multi-year battle with cancer, the family still always found ways to give back, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for children's health care initiatives through their family business and by raising awareness and sharing their story on Miracle Weekend and beyond. She was the strongest of us all. She, she would look at us, she'd look me straight in the eye and say, I've, I can do this again. Now, as Lorenko remains in hospital, some positive news. Her condition is said to have stabilized, though not improved, as the same community she's given so much to rallies behind her. She means a lot to us. You know, my, t- my, my boys adore her. Waiting anxiously to hear her sing once again. A bushel and a pack and a hug around the neck. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Two other schools in the Fraser Health region are also closing due to COVID-19. 16 positive cases have been identified at Jarvis Elementary in Delta, and eight cases have been identified at Al-Hadea Independent School in New Westminster. 
Both schools are functionally closing for the next two weeks because of staffing challenges. Fraser Health says contact tracing is now underway. Fraser Health has also declared outbreaks at three more lower mainland long-term care facilities. A staff member at Kiwanis Care Center in New Westminster and a resident at George Derby Center in Burnaby have tested positive, as have a staff member and three residents at Jackman Manor in Aldergrove. They have all been ordered to self-isolate. Enhanced control measures have been installed at all three sites and officials are working at contact tracing. Costco Canada is cracking down on COVID safety. In May, the big box store recommended all customers and staff wear masks or face coverings. But starting tomorrow, it's not optional. Everyone will have to wear a mask or a face shield to enter. A new stricter rule comes as the call for a mask mandate in B.C. grows. The majority of shoppers at this Vancouver Costco appear to be abiding by public health advice to wear a mask. And starting Monday, they'll have to cover up. I think we should be uh, more safe than sorry right now. Wearing a mask at this time is a responsible thing to do. Customers and staff will be required to wear a mask. And if they can't for medical reasons, they must don a face shield for entry. Children under two are exempt. Costco's president telling members online, this updated policy may seem inconvenient to some. However, we believe the added safety is worth any inconvenience. We're on board with it, yeah. That's extra protection. I will be happy to have that. All you have to do is look at the United States to see that you really can't legislate stupidity. We need direction from the top. Dr. Anna Wallach with Masks for Canada says with BC COVID case numbers rising, it's time for a mask mandate. I think the time of pretty please wear a mask is over. In July, Quebec became the first province to make masks mandatory in all indoor public spaces. Ontario followed in October. Starting Monday, Saskatchewan's mask mandate for indoor public spaces is expanding to include communities of 5,000 or more. In Alberta, bylaws in Edmonton and Calgary mandate masks in all indoor public spaces, while B.C. is relying on the public to follow science and do the right thing. Direction from Dr. Henry, who is so well-loved in this province, would help just edge that along and bring it along. And it'll make it easier as well for the mom-and-pop shops to, to say, look, it's the law. Until then, masks are strongly encouraged and required in some businesses, on public transit and BC ferries, where compliance is high. So let's get with it, join together, stop all this crap. It's not going to hurt you, and let's move on, wear the mask, and get rid of this virus. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A cautionary tale from just across the border. After reporting a record number of daily cases two days in a row, Washington state has announced strict new measures to curb the spread of COVID-19. The statewide restrictions include closing indoor dining at restaurants and bars and banning indoor social gatherings with anyone outside your household. In-store retail is limited to 25% indoor capacity, while indoor gyms, movie theaters, museums, zoos and aquariums must close. No weddings or funeral receptions are allowed. Most of the new rules go into effect before Monday midnight and will remain in place until December 14th. The governor says average daily cases have doubled in the last two weeks. Today, November 15th, 2020, I have to report to Washingtonians 
is the most dangerous public health day in over 100 years in our state's great history. It is troublesome, but I must report that we have a pandemic raging across our state, and most importantly, left unchecked, we will see continued untold numbers of deaths. A well-known anti-mask activist and COVID denier accused of breaking quarantine rules is scheduled to appear in court tomorrow. Mac Parhar was arrested after he returned from a U.S. conference of flat earth believers last month. The conspiracy theorist had openly bragged to a sparse crowd about flouting the law. After allegedly refusing to follow self-isolation requirements and scoffing at officers who wrote him a ticket, Parhar was arrested by New Westminster police and charged with three counts of contravening the Quarantine Act. He was kept in custody to serve out his 14-day quarantine. Parhar faces fines of up to $750,000 and six months in jail. Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park will remain closed indefinitely after a break-in two weeks ago. The park board says an act of vandalism damaged the field house and there is no timeline for when the downtown Eastside Park can safely reopen. Oppenheimer Park was set to reopen in stages this fall after an extensive and costly cleanup to erase any trace of its 18-month stint as a homeless camp. The park has been fenced off since May when the province took control and moved campers into housing as part of its COVID-19 response. So far, the price tag for the restoration and repairs is estimated at $870,000. A 30-year-old man was arrested for murder in connection with a stabbing in East Vancouver last night. Vancouver police say the fatal stabbing happened near East 57th Avenue and Prince Edward Street at about 9 o'clock. 34-year-old Damien Franklin Leung was rushed to hospital but later died. The VPD says several witnesses provided detailed descriptions of a suspect and he was arrested a block from the scene. Police believe the suspect and victim knew each other. This is the city's 16th homicide this year. The father of a mission woman killed along with her boyfriend is outraged. The man who orchestrated the double murder has been granted full parole after serving one-third of his sentence. In 2017, Thomas Robert Holden was sentenced to 10 years in prison for conspiring to commit the murders of Lisa Dudley and Guthrie McKay. The couple was killed in a targeted shooting in 2008. McKay was pronounced dead at the scene. Dudley was left paralyzed and bleeding for four days before she died. Her death prompted a coroner's inquest. The Parole Board of Canada says Holden is considered low risk to reoffend and must abide by several conditions, including not consuming drugs and no contact with the victim's families. I think it sends a, a terrible message to the public, uh, a, a very, very disconcerting situation for the families because it devalues human life. Would it make that much difference to you if he had done this full term? I think it would have, because the term itself was minimal. The Vernon Salvation Army is preparing for higher demand for its Christmas hampers this year. We did see an increase in new families that have accessed the food bank this year. And so because of that increase, we are expecting and anticipating an increase in Christmas support um, with families that have never had to access Christmas support in the past. It's been a tough year. 
Unlike previous years, the hamper distribution will be done outside from the Salvation Army's disaster assistance vehicle. And instead of doing a toy drive and giving donated toys to families along with their hampers, parents will get gift cards to buy presents for their children. The change means the Salvation Army is asking for monetary donations rather than gifts of toys this year. In Ontario, a Brampton temple was slapped with a fine for hosting a Diwali celebration that grew too large last night. Hundreds gathered to mark the festive occasion, despite warnings by public health officials not to. Morgan Campbell has more. Hopefully we can learn from what happened in Diwali. Brampton's mayor is asking his community to keep Diwali celebrations subdued this year as Peel Region grapples with a high number of COVID cases. Saturday evening, police and bylaw officers broke up a crowd of about 300 people, ignoring distancing rules in the parking lot outside of a temple. Inside, 10 people properly distanced were taking parts in a prayer service. So we have to give up a large gathering. Um, we're doing it for our family. We're doing it for our neighborhood. The temple was fined under the Reopening Ontario Act, and it was the only one in Brampton that saw a gathering over provincial limits. Peel Region is one of the worst affected areas in Canada, with a large population of South Asians. That group accounts for nearly half of Peel's COVID cases. Dr. Suman Chakabarty is an infectious disease physician in Mississauga. He says the transmission of COVID within the South Asian community is an issue, and something needs to be done immediately to curb that spread. This was something that was becoming more and more difficult to not say something about, given how much of an issue it has been. Chakabarty says part of the problem is many South Asians work in essential services, which creates a higher risk for acquiring the virus, coupled with the fact some families live in multi-generational homes. Put this together, you get this ongoing cycle of acquisition of infection and amplification, and that's why I really do think that's why we're seeing problems in Brampton. You have these amplifications happening in the community. Unfortunately, we're having them in social settings outside of the community. And then you're having households that are, are at higher risk when it gets brought in. Both Chakabarty and Dr. Zane Chagala are of South Asian descent. They believe healthcare providers, policymakers, and governments alike need to partner with community leaders as a way to better engage with South Asians, all while understanding cultural context. What helps our community helps the entire community. And I think uh, doing this together is, is the way to come to a great solution. Both doctors say they have heard from colleagues willing to help find solutions, which they hope to explore in the coming days. Morgan Campbell, Global News. The pandemic situation across the country. BC will have an update tomorrow at 3 p.m. on BC One. In Alberta, 991 new cases. Saskatchewan reported 181 new cases, including the death of a person in their 20s. Manitoba broke its daily record with 494 new cases. Ontario and Quebec are both reporting more than 1,000. And there are new infections cropping up in Atlantic Canada. Three in New Brunswick, two in Nova Scotia, and two in Newfoundland and Labrador. Researchers at the University of Saskatchewan want to make N95 face masks reusable. Their efforts are focusing on the structural changes occurring inside the masks during sterilization. They're called N95 because they filter at least 95% of the particles in the air. Using special techniques and equipment, scientists are able to see the tightly woven microscopic fibers critical to the filtering power of the masks. 
what our research is trying to do is to get down inside the mask at the microscopic level and try and figure out uh, what's actually changing uh, in terms of the structure of the fibers inside the mask. And the goal is to determine why the N95 mask fibers degrade. That would allow manufacturers to design more resilient masks and help the medical industry move towards personal protective equipment that can be reused. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition, lift off. One alpha. Roger, one alpha. Godspeed resilience. A nighttime launch from Cape Canaveral, Florida, just a short time ago. SpaceX launched its first full team of astronauts to the International Space Station. This launch of one Japanese and three American astronauts is, in essence, a charter flight to the ISS on a rocket in a Dragon capsule named Resilience, built by SpaceX. Company CEO Elon Musk wasn't allowed at Kennedy Space Center for the launch because he tested positive for COVID-19. A tragic story that illustrates the pandemic's impact in the U.S. A four-year-old in Texas is now a COVID-19 orphan. Raiden Gonzalez's mother, Mariah, died from the virus in October, just a few months after it killed his father, Aiden. Raiden's relatives say the deaths have been devastating to the boy who is supposed to celebrate his fifth birthday in just a few days. The family is speaking out in the hopes of saving other lives. Two people now to COVID-19, and I can't emphasize enough the severity, the seriousness, and the hurt that this pandemic can cause. So wear your mask, be safe. I mean, we can't stress that enough. As the COVID case count hits a new milestone, President Donald Trump remains focused on the legal battle over the election he lost. Today, Trump officially acknowledged that Joe Biden won, but still says he will not concede, claiming the vote was rigged. Jennifer Johnson has more on today's developments. Pro-Trump supporters taking to the streets in several U.S. cities. Tensions rose in Washington, leading to over 20 arrests. The demonstrators repeating President Donald Trump's baseless claim that the election was rigged. The vote has not been declared, but no, there is no president-elect. It's all a lie. The Trump team keeps filing lawsuits in an attempt to reverse ballot counts. Already several cases have been dismissed. President Trump remains defiant on Twitter, saying, I concede nothing. We have a long way to go. This was a rigged election, while earlier writing that Joe Biden had won. Donald Trump's Twitter feed doesn't make Joe Biden president or not president. The American people did that. What, what we really want to see this week is the General Services Administration issue that ascertainment. That would allow President-elect Biden to start getting daily intelligence briefings and both the incoming and outcoming administrations to work together on the COVID-19 pandemic and administering a future vaccine. It's almost like passing a baton in a race. You don't want to stop and then give it to somebody. You want to just essentially keep going. That's what transition is. The U.S. has now surpassed 11 million COVID-19 infections. At least 25 states are reporting record hospitalizations, and several state leaders have again ordered partial shutdowns and travel bans. You must physically distance when you cannot physically distance. Everybody needs to wear a mask in public spaces. That's absolutely critically important. They do work. The Biden team says it's getting pressure from governors for a nationwide plan to stop the spread. My state's surrounded by four other states, and they all have different recommendations. That by itself is what we're talking about, standardizing how we're all going to approach this. President-elect Biden will be meeting with his COVID-19 experts and transition team all this week, with or without a formal concession from President Trump.
Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. President Barack Obama is addressing claims of voter fraud in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. It is one more step in delegitimizing not just the incoming Biden administration, but democracy generally. And that's a dangerous path. The 44th president sat down with Scott Pelley for an interview tonight on 60 Minutes. This is the former president's first interview since the election and comes ahead of the release of his new book, A Promised Land. You can catch their full conversation tonight after the news hour right here on Global. Die Gestaltung dieser Beziehung ist Gegenstand. Prince Charles addressing German Parliament in Berlin today on the country's National Day of Mourning. Charles and his wife Camilla were welcomed by the German president and senior German leaders. The prince will or also placed a wreath at the memorial site in the center of Berlin, home to Berlin's monument to the victims of war and Nazism. A New York man has been arrested in last month's unprovoked attack of Canadian comedian Rick Moranis near Central Park. 35-year-old Marquis Ventura was arrested yesterday afternoon when police spotted him on Manhattan's Upper West Side. The arrest comes after police released this video from the October incident showing a man wearing a black sweatshirt striking Moranis and knocking him to the ground. The 67-year-old actor went to hospital to be treated for pain to his head, back and right hip before being released. Global News Hour at 6. Okay, have a look at this surveillance video showing a tsunami inundate a house on a Greek island last month. At first, the water can be seen rapidly receding, followed soon after by a large wave that swamps the deck and structure. And yes, that that was a fridge that was being tossed around there like it weighed nothing. A, a series of mini tsunamis hit the island of Samos after a magnitude 7 earthquake struck under the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey on October 30th. More than 20 people were killed in the disaster and hundreds Hundreds of buildings in Greece and Turkey were destroyed. Why this shoe, just one shoe, sold at auction for nearly $70,000 Canadian? We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, I have a funny feeling. I'm wearing my Uggs tonight. But I think you <laughs> might need mine. even more than, are you? You yeah. probably need more than that if you're uh, planning to go back and forth between the interior right now. Yeah, the mountain passes tracking a significant amount of snow. I'll have an update on what you can anticipate, especially as we get in through tomorrow, because there is the p- potential and the risk of freezing rain. Today, however, we're just in between systems. We actually had a nice break uh, through the day today. Here's a great shot that was captured by in False Creek. So thank you so much, Rory. And a beautiful shot in Gibson's. And this one was taken by Brad. A double rainbow in Sumas. Uh, this one taken by Russ. So thank you so much. And a Beautiful rainbow shot in deep bay. So thank you so much, Lisa. Some beautiful photos just to show us those breaks because it's going to look very different as we get in towards our work week and the winds. Most of them peaked in the early morning hours. A quick glance at some of them out of the airport over 60 kilometers per hour. Abbotsford at 50 and for areas near Comox up to 65. So these are the peak wind gusts and we can see the timestamp just beside them. The winds are going to ease off briefly as we're just in between systems, but they are going to ramp up once again tomorrow. Here's the break that we're seeing across the south coast and this will be the next weather maker that is going to work its way in. It's a frontal system and it's a warm front so there is the potential and the risk of freezing rain as that moves in especially for the interior. Now as we put this ahead on the future cast we'll look at the morning hours. We've got cloud cover. It'll be a slight chance for some showers and then it picks up with that system pushing in across the 
south coast. Most of the rain is going to develop for the afternoon. It'll be heavy at times. And then it'll ease off as we get in towards uh, the evening hours. A bit of a break once again between systems. But with that transition and the warm front that's moving across the region, there is the risk of freezing rain. So that's what we're tracking, especially if you're traveling along the mountain passes. A quick look at what it looks like right now. The Coquihalla has picked up 20 centimeters and there's still additional snow amounts. Here's what it looks like around the Rogers Pass. So do check in with Drive BC before you head out for the latest road conditions. But the snowfall amounts tonight through tomorrow, still 10 and up to 20 centimeters along the Coke. That's from Hope to Merritt. The Allison Pass with the snowfall warning, 10 and up to 15 centimeters. And it looks like the Connector Rogers as well as the Paulson Summit We'll see that range between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. So once again, a significant amount of snow and the risk of freezing rain is in the mix for tomorrow. So check in with Drive BC for the latest road conditions and check in the morning hours. Mark will have the latest on the forecast as well. There is a nice break through the day tomorrow, especially for the northern half of the province with some sunshine. A few flurries will be for the northeastern corners. A nice, bright and dry start. That'll be across the central interior. And then the southern interior will have dry start for the morning hours. And then that increase in cloud cover kicks in for the afternoon in a few spots. Could even see some wet snow for the morning hours and then changing over the rain. But most of the rain that'll push in for the Thompson Okanagan will be for the afternoon and early evening. Whistler could see some wet snow, a cooler day tomorrow with just highs up to two degrees. It'll be drier across the south coast with cloud cover, a chance of showers in the morning. So that's our break, low in the action, but then the rain is gonna pick up. It'll be heavy at times by the afternoon. Highs tomorrow will be up to nine degrees. It'll be windy over the next two days. A mild one on Tuesday. Tuesday, bumping up to 13 degrees and a bit unsettled as we get in towards our Wednesday onwards. Colleen? Alrighty, thanks so much, Yvonne. A tattered shoe made of silk and goat leather sold for nearly $70,000 Canadian at auction today in Versailles, France. But it's not just any old shoe. It belonged to the last Queen of France, Marie Antoinette, the wife of King Louis XVI. Both were executed by guillotine in 1793 after the French Revolution. The size six shoe ended up in the hands of a close friend of the queen's hand, or, uh, head chambermaid during the revolution. Her family kept it ever since, auctioning it off 227 years after the queen's death. The auction house says people in France are looking more and more to French history as a pleasant distraction from the country's COVID-19 crisis. It's a tiny little shoe. It's a size I, six. It fit me. Would it fit you? Yeah, that fit Yvonne. Mine yeah. would have to be a little bit bigger. <laughs> That's okay. You could still purchase it, though, yes. the next time it goes up for auction. I actually couldn't, but, you know. <laughs> uh, Barry, what do you have coming up? Uh, well, the green jacket fit uh, Dustin Johnson pretty nicely today at uh, the Masters. Uh, that guy's just got the, the perfect... Uh, kind of attitude for golf. Never seems to get too excited, but he just uh, was head and shoulders above everyone today at the field. So I have highlights of the final round of that. And the Seahawks are in a bit of a skid. Oh. Lost again today to the Rams, who they seem to have had uh, trouble with the last couple of years. So highlights of that as well. Great. You've got kind of got a green theme going with the Seahawks and, and the, the Masters. Yes. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. A century-old fig tree is giving environmentalists hope. Officials in Nairobi sided with demonstrators and will be rerouting a new expressway instead of uprooting the massive old tree. As Crystal Gamansing reports, the decision is being hailed as a victory with cultural and ecological significance. After a year-long battle, it appears this great old fig tree is staying put. On behalf 
of His Excellency the President, NMS will issue a declaration of conservation for this tree, for this iconic tree. A greener city is exactly what advocates want. In addition to a legal challenge which has yet to be heard, communities rallied taking to the streets and waging a campaign on social media. The nearly 100-year-old tree was to be removed to make way for a new four-lane highway. Construction has resulted in the uprooting of many other trees, but the fight for this one united people across Kenya. It's believed to be sacred. This tree, why uh, we used to keep it, it used to be there because we went for prayers there. The prayers were for rain and a good harvest. The campaign organizer says the fact that so many generations worked together to save the fig tree sent a strong message to the government. As a country right now, we should be focusing on protecting and preserving our green spaces right now. And of course, this particular fig tree stood out because of the values that it has traditionally, culturally, and also spiritually. Elizabeth Watuti says it's a victory for Nairobi, but one she hopes will energize environmentalists everywhere. Crystal Gamanson, Global News, London. Help the Langley Christmas Bureau spread the spirit of Christmas to those in need. This year, due to the pandemic, they will not be hosting a drive through fundraising event, but instead they're asking the community to make donations of cash and gift cards in $25 denominations with the goal of raising $280,000 for those in need. Canuck Place Children's Hospice gives short lives the chance to shine. This holiday season, light up your life by sparking joy in children with life-threatening illnesses and their families. Your generosity gives the gift of a happy holiday memory. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting. Celebrating 60 years as BC's News. Okay, just before you get to your sportscast, Barry, I'm sure you'd agree that soccer stars do amazing mm -hmm. things with the ball during the game, but street-style soccer competition takes tricks to a whole new level. An international freestyle competition was held entirely online this weekend. 24 competitors from 11 countries battled head-to-head -head in the finals of Red Bull's street-style world championship. A French woman, Melody Donchette, beat a woman from Poland to take the title for the fourth time. In the men's competition, two brothers from Norway made it to the final face-off. In the end, the 2018 winner, Erland Fajerli, took back the championship, beating his older brother. They are amazing. That's yeah, pretty, pretty amazing tricks they're doing with COVID. What else are you going to do, right? All right. They're getting even better. <laughs> positives. Got to look for positives. All right, thanks, Colleen. We'll uh, start off with a little golf. Uh, just as we expected yesterday, Dustin Johnson did, in fact, cruise to his first-ever Masters victory today at Augusta. He had a little wobble on the front side, but quickly got back on track and posted an historic winning score. It was nice to watch some Masters in November, I have to admit, but let's hope it's a one-time-only thing. We'll get to Johnson in a moment, but first, some local content on another beautiful day at Augusta. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor in his first-ever Masters appearance really put in a fine performance. Second shot in the par 5, 13th, knocks it onto the green, made a two-putt birdie, and Nick finished at three under, tied 29th, so a solid showing for Nick. Defending champ Tiger Woods had himself a moment at the 12th, already had put his tee shot into the water. Second shot onto the green, but 
too much spin and that rolls back into the water as well. So now Tiger Lion 4 wasn't short on his third attempt but ended up in the bunker with a horrible lie. Check out the stance and then he will end up firing this one into the water as well. Tiger ended up making a 10 on the par 3, his highest score ever as a pro. He did birdie five of his last six, but he finished tied 38 that one under. Young Aussie Cameron Smith kept it interesting, at least on the front side. This is one of the best shots of the week from the Pine Straw at 9. Just avoids going into the bunker, and then it kicks down towards the hole within a few feet. That is one of the shots of the tournament. He would make birdie, and he was just two back of Dustin Johnson at the tournament. But then DJ kind of hit the gas and left everyone in his dust. He putted very well this week, along with driving beautifully and long, of course. Rolls it in for a birdie here at 13. And then at 14, delicate little putt just catches the edge. Another birdie. And then at the 15th, his third shot on the par 5. And just another easy, fantastic wedge to set up his third straight birdie to get to 20 under par. And he'll tap in at 18 for the victory, a five-shot win as he gets his first-ever Masters title. Gets a little congratulatory kiss from his partner, Paulina Gretzky. The 20-under, a new scoring record, breaking the old mark of 18-under by Tiger and Jordan Spieth. It's his first green jacket and second major overall. He made it look easy, but apparently it wasn't. Very happy for you. It's hard. I, I was nervous all day. I could feel it. I mean, you know, the Masters to me is, you know, it's the biggest tournament. It's the one that I wanted to win the most. And so, yeah, I mean, I felt it all day. And, you know, I'm just very proud of the way I handled myself and the way, way I finished off the golf tournament. So there's the final leaderboard. Johnson with the five-shot win over Cameron Smith and South Korea's Sung Jae-im. Corey Connors, 369, finished tied for 10th, and that gets him an automatic invitation to the next Masters on schedule in April. A solid showing, as mentioned, for Nick Taylor in his Masters debut, finishing in the top 30. All right, NFL now. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in L.A. for a key NFC West showdown with the Rams. First quarter, Seahawks get a rare rushing touchdown. Alex Collins from 13 yards out takes it in. For the TD and the Seahawks led 7-3, but the Rams offense had their way with that porous Seahawks defense. Big third down conversion, Jared Goff to the tight end, Tyler Higbee for 39 yards. That would lead to a touchdown, and the Rams were back up 10-7. Then on L.A.'s next possession, they go 93 yards with relative ease. Daryl Henderson takes it in for the touchdown. Three possessions, three scores for the Rams, and they led 17-7. Seahawks, though, using some trickery. The flea flicker, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett for 39 yards, led to a field goal. Seahawks back to within seven. Now the Hawks' defense finally makes a play, and it's Jamal Adams. This is why they got him from the Jets. Knocks the ball out of Goff's hand. Seahawks recover at the Rams 27. That's what they needed, a big play. But the Hawks give it right back. Wilson acres of space to run, but decides to throw into the end zone where it's picked off. And Russell knows that was a poor decision. But Seahawks got the ball back, and Jason Myers hits this franchise record 61-yard field goal to end the half. Remarkably, Seattle only down four, 17-13. But in the third... Seattle decided to punt on a fourth and inches, gave the ball away, and the Rams held it for eight minutes. Malcolm Brown powers into the end zone, 23-13 after three. Fourth quarter, Seahawks offense continues to struggle. Wilson is picked off by Darius Williams 
Another rough day for Wilson, who made some odd decisions. Didn't get the ball nearly enough to DK Metcalf, who had just two catches. Hawks have now lost three of four. No TD passes for Russell for the first time this year, as both teams are now six and three. Meanwhile, Kyler Murray and the Cards taking on the Bills, a team that manhandled the Seahawks last week. Bills were up 14, but the Cards roar back, and it's thanks to Murray. 15-yard touchdown scamper is second of the game, 26-23. He's so elusive. His star just getting brighter each week, it seems. What a wild finish in this one. Final minute, Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs, who lays out to make a fantastic catch for the touchdown. Bills led 30-26 with just 34 seconds left, but Kyler Murray still had one more magical play left in him, eludes the sack, and then heaves it for the end zone, and that's where DeAndre Hopkins outjumps three Bills defenders an incredible catch, an incredible finish. They're calling it the Hale Murray in Arizona. They go to 6-3, and three, so it's a three-way tie atop the NFC West. Hawks host the Cards Thursday night. <coughs> Excuse me, Steelers and Bengals. Pittsburgh off to an 8-0 start for the first time in franchise history. Chase Claypool being used in so many ways for the Steelers. Some trickery here on the reverse. 14 yards for Chase, led to a Steeler field goal. Second quarter, Steelers back for more. Ben Roethlisberger steps up, finds Juju Smith-Schuster for the touchdown. 22-7 Pittsburgh at the half. And then in the third in the red zone, Roethlisberger going to his favorite rookie, Chase Claypool, his eighth touchdown of the season. Fantastic catch in traffic by Claypool. What a weapon he is for Ben Roethlisberger. Those two have had instant chemistry since he got to Pittsburgh. But Claypool wasn't done yet in the fourth. Big Ben finds him again, this time for the five-yard touchdown. Nine touchdowns in nine games for Claypool. Unbelievable as the Steelers go to 9-0. Chase has never lost a pro football game. Steelers take out the Bengals 36-10. 49ers and Saints from the Superdome in New Orleans. Second quarter, Drew Brees dumps it off to Alvin Kamara, and he does the rest. One of the best receiving backs in the NFL turns it into a 34-yard gain down to the San Francisco 15, and then inside the 5 Breeze actually fumbles the snap, but it works to his advantage. Everyone goes that way, and Kamara's wide open for the touchdown. He had three of them on the day as the Saints go to 7-2, 27-13 over the Niners, who are now 4-6. And, and Bucks and Panthers, Tom Brady and the Bucks coming off that 38-3 humiliation at the hands of New Orleans last Sunday night. As you might expect, he bounced back in a big way. Finds Mike Evans for the touchdown to tie it 17-all at the half. Then they uh, are up by 29 second-half points, including this Brady to Gronkowski touchdown to seal it as the Bucks go to 7-3. 46-23 the final over Carolina. And we'll finish with some auto racing. Turkish Grand Prix, another wet day in Istanbul. Canada's Lance Stroll on the pole for the first time in his career. Led the majority of the race. Should have got him into the podium, but his pit crew brought him in on the 37th lap to change tires. Stroll wanted to stay out. Wow, that's the decision they're going to regret as he ended up uh, finishing in ninth because of that. Lewis Hamilton delivered another remarkable drive, passes Stroll's teammate Sergio Perez, who wound up second. Hamilton started sixth, but as usual, crosses the finish line first, his record-extending 94th win. Hamilton clinches his record, equalizing seventh Formula One title to stand along Michael Schumacher as one of the greatest racers of all time. And there you go. That's it for sports. All right. Thanks, Barry. Cancer is relentless, but for every patient, every chemo appointment, every radiation treatment, BC Cancer is there to change the outcome. With your help, BC Cancer won't stop until it's done. Donate today at bccancerfoundation.com.
<laughs> it is not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Never have Mark Twain's words been more true than in the case of a little dog in Colorado who saved his best friend's life. Yeah, that was Winston. There's Winston. He's the dachshund. And his buddy, Mijo. The two were out for a stroll when suddenly a mountain lion attacked Mijo. Winston sprung into action, charging at the big cat and scared it off. Mijo was rushed to a vet. Now, he lost his right eye, but thanks to his pal Winston, he survived. This is his best friend, so I'm not surprised that when he was screaming that he chased after him. Because, I mean, he continued to scream and he turned around and came right back for him. He's got a lot of heart. 20-pound <laughs> dog with the courage of a 200-pound dog. <laughs> I like that. Dachshunds are feisty. That's the kind of do guard dog I want, right? No there. kidding. Yeah. Small but feisty. <laughs> Okay, uh, one last look at that weather forecast. It's a soggy one. Grab the rain gear, but there actually be some lulls, so that's the good news. We'll see a few breaks even in the morning hours, and then it picks up for the afternoon. So it'll be on and off. Grab the rain gear. Um, temperatures, though, still bumping up to 13 on Tuesday. All right. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes and Barack Obama's first interview since the U.S. election. Have a good night.